You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to this podcast where we are recovering and reaffirming a distinctively Christian vision of a perfectly good God whose grace is finally going to save us all. Now, if salvation is where grace is taking all of us, then it's a good thing for us to think as deeply as we can about salvation and what salvation is really all about. It's easy to have kind of a knee-jerk response to salvation and to just define salvation as making it into heaven after you die. But if we do that, if we limit salvation just to that, then we sell salvation short. Because salvation is as much about heaven making its way into you before you die as it is about you making it into heaven after you die. And so when it comes to salvation, there are two important aspects for us to consider. There's an aspect of salvation before death, and there's an aspect of salvation after death. Before death salvation is about Jesus' announcement of his good news that the kingdom of God is present and available for everyone right now. Jesus' pronouncement about the good news of the now-present availability of God's kingdom on earth was a central part of his earthly mission. He repeatedly urged people to make seeking and entering the kingdom of God right now their first priority in life. Now, all of this kingdom of God talk is related to salvation because the root meaning of the word salvation has to do with deliverance. And in the Jewish context, their fundamental deliverance story was their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So when Jesus spoke about the good news of God's present kingdom, he was inviting people to be liberated from the failed kingdoms of this world and to be delivered into life in God's eternal kingdom, which is in the world but not of it, and which is now present and available on earth as it is in heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus urged people to seek first God's kingdom, and he taught them how to live in it on earth and to pray that it would come on earth as it is in heaven. Following Jesus in his way of life meant following him into the salvation and deliverance and power of God's kingdom. So when we are thinking about the meaning of salvation, we can't overlook that there is a very strong before-death aspect to salvation which we need to appreciate if we want to have a full understanding of what salvation means. And then there's also the after-death aspect of salvation as well. And that's the part of salvation that we tend to focus on the most, probably because we are frightened of death and judgment, and we are naturally curious and concerned about our ultimate destiny in eternity and what that will be like. And when we think about all of this, we tend to think mostly about what it will be like for us. Even if we embrace a Christian universalist spirituality and we are believing that God won't put anyone in a state of afterlife judgment forever, we still don't want to spend any time at all in that state of afterlife judgment. When our time comes, we want to be ready. We don't want to be in trouble. We want to have as seamless and as smooth a transition as possible into the afterlife. And we wonder what our experience will be like on the other side. What will we be doing? What will our relationships be like? 
how will we ultimately fit into everything? How will we feel? And in our curiosity about all of these things, we fail to think about something very important. In all of our concern about our own experience, we tend to forget about somebody else's experience, namely, God's. And that is, we fail to think about what the consummation of creation will mean for God. God planned all of this from the beginning, and so there must be some outcome that God was looking forward to, something that made all the effort and all the suffering all worthwhile for God. And so the last point in my Christian Universalist theology is about the final state of things. What was it that God wanted to ultimately share with us? Now, when I think about God, although it's hard to even imagine such a thing, I try to imagine God as more than a solitary being that's out there somewhere. I try to think of God as the ultimate and all-encompassing ground of being in whom we are all living and moving and having our being. And beyond that, I also try to think about God having a fully satisfying inner Trinitarian dynamic life, which is an ongoing relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. So there is no lack in God. God is not lonely. God does not need company. God is company. God is relationship. God is a fully realized and fully satisfied complex being with an inner life which is far beyond our grasp. And the astonishing thing that God is wanting to do for us is to share with us this inner experience of God's dynamic life. So, salvation is really, in the ultimate sense, best understood as unhindered union with God. What God is ultimately wanting to do is to share the beauty of God's own inner life and experience with us by including us all in Christ as dear children. So the salvation of all humanity is about far more than us being forgiven and not getting into trouble, or about getting to live on after we die. It's about all of us each being progressively joined to the inner perfect life of God until the inner life of God is filled with all of our lives as well, and we are all experiencing it together. And this is why the fifth point of my theology is this. God will be all in all. Everything builds to this point. I could put it this way. God is a loving parent to all, and God sincerely wants to save all, and God in Christ covers the sin of all, and God is sovereign over all, so that finally, God will be all in all. So now let's look together at some of the places in the Bible where I believe I can see an indication that God being all in all will be the final state of things. We can start with 1 Corinthians 15, 28, where it is stated that when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. Notice here the inclusivity. All things are subjected to the Son, and then the Son subjects all things to the Father, so that God may be all in all. Not so that God can control all. This isn't about dominance. It's about the God of perfect love humbling God's own self to us, submitting to us in love, so that we can all eventually experience that love together. And now on to Romans 11.32, which states, For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. 
This verse, in a nutshell, comprises Paul's entire argument in the book of Romans. God's ultimate intention, including the part about humbling us by convicting us of our sinfulness and about all of us falling short of perfection, all of that was for a larger purpose. And that purpose, according to Romans 11.32, was the ability to finally show all of us mercy. God is the God who intends to show mercy upon all, and not just because God is nice, but because God's ultimate intent is to finally be all in all. All right, let's move on now to where we can read in Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here we see it again. The plan in the fullness of time was to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now let's head back to the Old Testament for a bit, where we can read in Psalm 22, 28-30, about how all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Here we have a vision from the Psalms about a coming time when all of the families of the earth will bow down before God. And the vision here even seems to include those who have died, those who have gone down to the dust and who cannot keep themselves alive. Even they will be able to somehow kneel before God. And then uh, there's Isaiah 45:23, where we can read of God that, By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. And then we can see a kind of fulfillment of this echoed in Romans 14.11, which reads, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. And then we can see where this is also echoed in Philippians 2.9-11, where we can read, Therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And there's an important detail here in this passage. When it says that every knee should confess, the Greek word for confession here is exomologestai, and exomologestai is a word which has to do with glad praise and fullest thanks and joyful proclamation. And so David Bentley Hart, in his translation of the New Testament, translates this verse, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall joyfully praise God. And this would be a good point for me to recommend that if you want to go further with all of this, you should consult David Bentley Hart's book, That All Shall Be Saved, and also David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament with very helpful footnotes as well as a very helpful postscript which details important information about certain Greek words and how they should be translated better with regard to this discussion around ultimate destinies. So when we look at the original Greek of the New Testament, we can see that this proclamation, which all will finally be giving, will be a joyful one, not something that is demanded of a resistant population, but something that comes forth from true thankfulness. 
Another important verse to think about when contemplating the idea that God will finally be all in all is Colossians 1, 16-20, which reads, speaking of Christ, that, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. What this passage tells us is that Jesus is the source of all creation and of all reconciliation, and that he is the one through whom both everything is created and everything is reconciled. And then there's 1 John 3, 8, where we read that the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if it's the devil's work to frustrate our ability to have a harmonious relationship with our loving God, then the purpose of the Son of God is to do away with everything that keeps us from having that wonderful relationship. And now we come to a very important passage in this discussion, Acts 3.21, which says about Jesus, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, when this verse in the book of Acts talks about a time when God will restore everything, the Greek word used here is the word apokatastasis. And that word is the word that Greek people used to describe times when there would be a healing or a bringing back or a time of reconstitution or restitution in which things would be made whole and good again. And in the theological world, when people talk about the hope that God will finally restore all of creation and all people along with it, this term is often used. It's often called the doctrine of apocatastasis which is really just the doctrine of a final restitution or a final restoration of everything that was lost in the fall. And we can see an echo of this in the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 11, where Jesus talks about a coming time having to do with Elijah and how at that time there will be a restoration of all things. The Greek phrase here is apokatastasei panta. And there's also Matthew 19:28 where Jesus talks with his disciples about a time in which there will be a renewal of all things, and the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, and about how they too shall have thrones. So, when we take all of this together, it creates a picture of a final renewal, or restoration, or apocatastasis of all things in which God will finally be all in all. And so the end game of all of this is much more than us being declared forgiven and not having to go to hell or stay in hell for some period of time. It's not just about us getting to continue to be able to be alive in a better kind of place than we are right now. The ultimate end game of all of this is that there will be a unity of life and experience that we will all be sharing with God and we will all be enveloped in the love that is in God, the love that's always been in God. And the goodness of that, we will all be able to experience together. We will be enlightened by all of our individual experiences and by all of our experiences as a human family 
and that will help us to be able to fully appreciate the depth and the beauty of what all of this means. So this is how all of the good and all of the bad will finally work together for something truly amazing and glorious that we will all get to be a part of and that will finally make sense out of everything. So now let me try to personalize this for each one of us. You are a child of God, an extremely important part of God's creation. And the purpose of creation will not be finally complete until you are part of that final state in which God will be all in all. God only imprisoned you in disobedience for the purpose of finally being merciful to you. The ultimate mystery of God set forth in Christ in the fullness of time is that everything, including you, would be gathered up into God. Ultimately, you, along with everyone else, will gladly be able to bend your knee and give joyful praise and thanksgiving to God. And you will be able to gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because it is through Christ that all things in heaven and on earth, including you, have been created. Christ himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything, including you. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to you through the blood of his cross. For Christ has destroyed the works of the devil in you. And there will come a time in which you will be renewed and restored along with everyone else and with all of creation. And when all of that finally takes place, you will take your place with everyone else, and we will all finally be all in God, and God will be all in all, and it will all be a beautiful thing we will share together. So, that concludes my five-point Christian Universalist theology. God is a loving parent to all. God sincerely wants to save all. God in Christ covers the sin of all. God is sovereign over all. And finally, God will be all in all. As wonderful as all of this sounds, for some people it sounds a little too good to be true. After all, God is love, but God is also just. And so there is a lot that the Bible has to say about judgment. And a lot of that is pretty serious. And I understand that. And I myself had some questions and concerns about all of this when I initially started to try and wrap my head around the idea that God would finally be all in all and what that might mean. As it is often said, God is love, but God is also just. And so we have to look at that side of it as well. And so we will. In the next podcast, we will begin looking at how it might be that the justice and the judgment of God can fit within this big picture in which love will finally prevail and God will be all in all. Until that time, then, I will be believing that God's justice and God's love can work together and that God's final redemptive purpose can finally be victorious in each of our lives. And so, I invite you to join me in believing in a grace that ultimately saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, 
Let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.